The COVID-19 pandemic showed us how a microscopic virus could upend our lives. There is so much out there that we need to understand. But for every threat, there are heroes working at the edges of science and policy to protect us. I'm Dr. Abdul El Sayed, former Detroit Health Director and host of Crooked Media's America Dissected. Every episode, I talk to the doctors, scientists, culture makers, and policy leaders who are working out new ways to protect us against our biggest threats. New episodes of America Dissected every Tuesday. Listen on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Two new screening tools are promising to catch diseases earlier than ever before. I had no idea that I was at risk for cancer. He was shocked when the results came back positive. The gallery test found us for me really in the nick of time. A full body MRI scan, a blood test to detect more than 50 kinds of cancer. People are getting psyched. Take care of something early, you can nip in the bud and, and then live forever. Isn't that our dream to live forever, never die? But is knowing more about what's going on in your body always a good thing? Today, a primary care doctor breaks down what we do and don't know about this new wave of screening tests and the unintended consequences they could have. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. The 1976 Western, The Shootist, starring John Wayne, captures a near universally dreaded diagnosis. Every few days I have to tell a man or a woman something I don't want to. I, I've been practicing medicine for 29 years and I still don't know how to do it well. Why don't you just say it flat out? All right. You have a cancer. Advanced. For decades, scientists and doctors have been searching for ways to catch and treat cancer sooner. Yet 600,000 people are still dying from the disease every year. And about 70% of those deaths are caused by cancers we have no way to screen for, says Harvard researcher and primary care doc Ashani Ganguly. It's understandable that people would want some tool to be able to find that earlier. That's exactly the allure of these two new tools a full-body MRI, and a kind of all-in-one cancer blood test. The makers of these screening tests claim to deliver what's long been a medical holy grail. In fact, one of the companies has literally taken the name Grail, a promise to catch more kinds of cancers sooner. Both types of tools are starting to pick up customers. My name is Marcia, and this is my Pernuvo story. The first is full-body MRI scans. At Pernuvo, we work to perfect whole-body screening. The companies selling these scans advertise they can catch a whole bunch of stuff. Brain aneurysms, tumors. Even cycles of your life. It let me know I was in menopause, and I was like, wait, what? They're not covered by insurance, but companies like Pernuvo are offering them directly to consumers for about 2000 bucks a pop. The second screening tool making waves is a kind of blood test that looks for cancer cells lurking in your body. One company claims it can catch more than 50 types of cancer with a single blood draw. The technology has even captured the attention of President Biden. Imagine the possibilities simple blood test during an annual physical that could detect cancer early with a chance of a cure best. 
Medicare and a handful of private insurers are also giving this test a serious look. For now, though, most patients are going to pay full cost, about 900 bucks out of pocket. Given the buzz around these two technologies and all of the hope, we asked Dr. Ashani Ganguly to sit down, give it to us straight. What's good, what's bad, and what's still unknown about these new tests? Okay, Ashani, if you go get one of these MRIs or blood tests, what's the best case scenario and what's the worst? Yes. So the absolute best case scenario is that the test catches a specific type and stage of cancer or another problem that if caught and treated early could help you live longer and better. But the tests are also likely to find imperfections that are inconsequential, ambiguous, or outright false, especially if you go looking in a big group, let's say everyone over 50. And these imperfections often compel extra scans, biopsies, even surgeries that can be costly, time-consuming, stressful, and possibly physically harmful to you. So that's the big downside. You go on a kind of wild goose chase, and in the end, you don't have cancer, and you would have been better off not going down that path in the first place. It's too soon to have much data on the pros or cons of these tests, but what we do know about the downsides is enough to worry Ashani. For full-body MRIs, she estimates at least one in four scans will find something, a cloudy lung, a funny-looking liver, and for the leading cancer-detecting blood test, based on the company's own data, nearly two out of three people who get a positive result will not have any cancer found on follow-up. And trying to find those cancers and then figure out which lumps are scary and which ones are fine to leave alone can send doctors and patients down a medical rabbit hole, or what Ashani calls a cascade of care. We want to have certainty about our health. We want to have a clean bill of health. We want to feel like we understand our bodies. But the truth is that there's a lot of uncertainty. And so one of the reasons that these cascades happen is that there's the sense that we should be certain, and then you chase that certainty, even though there's no guarantee of it. And and chasing that certainty, right, Ashani, can get pretty expensive pretty fast. You've done research in this area that makes the point really well. I'm thinking about your paper on tests related to cataract surgery. Can you break that down for us? So we've looked at heart tracing called an electrocardiogram that are often done before cataract surgery. Now, cataract surgery is a a quick procedure, very low risk. And there's really good evidence that doing these what we call preoperative tests like electrocardiograms before these low-risk surgeries do not help with lowering your risk during the surgery or help improve your outcomes after the surgery. Yet it's just really commonly done out of this sense that it may help. And so what we found when looking at the downstream consequences of these tests is that the EKGs themselves cost Medicare on the order of $3 million a year. But the money spent on the care that follows, so the cascades, is 10 times that, about $35 million in our estimates. Wait, wait, 10 times $35 million? Yeah, just for this one example. So that gives you a sense of just how big a ripple effect one little test that sounds harmless can have. So you can imagine the cost that could follow if something like a cancer-detecting blood test or a full-body MRI were approved by Medicare. It could be really massive in terms of cost. Yeah, I mean, like, that's potentially 
billions in extra spending. And also, Shani, I'm wondering about like the mental toll this takes on people. Have you seen that play out for your patients? Yeah, I think it just changes your outlook on life. It gives you an added layer of worry, of anxiety about sort of as you move through the world. You know, I do have a number of patients who have had a finding that's likely harmless but can be terrifying to somebody who has it in their body, right? Like a tiny brain tumor that doesn't grow or a brain aneurysm. And I've seen how this knowledge can color their decisions about seeking care or triggering worry about, you know, a headache that they have. And so it's a very real burden that that it places on patients. Shani, what about for you as a doc? Like, how hard is it to navigate these test results with patients? I got to think there's so much emotion and fear. Plus, there's like the complicated statistics stuff going on. What's a false positive? What's not? And then just a whole lot of stuff we still don't know, like whether this lump will grow or it won't. Is there any research out there that gives us a sense of how well-equipped doctors are to have these conversations? I mean, these are tricky right about the trade-offs of these sorts of tests. So I would say that the big factors here are are the time to have the conversations and then the the information to have the conversations. So, you know, we did a study recently that looked at this. So we were trying to improve the quality of conversations about medical testing between primary care doctors and their patients. So we tried a number of ways to encourage these conversations. We showed doctors how their test ordering compared to their peers. And we also gave them scripted language about what to say about tests. On the patient side, we sent a link to a website right before their annual with a video, with a quiz, various ways to teach them about medical tests, you know, what the upsides and downsides are. And so basically what you're, what you're sort of setting up in this test, it sounds like, is some kind of, um, you're trying to improve patient literacy around tests and you're trying to help doctors think more deliberately about tests. And, and so what ultimately did you guys find? Well, the results were disappointing. In the end, we found that our intervention didn't work. There is no difference in the uh, conversation quality between the, the folks who got the, the materials and those who didn't. So you're telling us you give doctors information, you give patients information. It doesn't really make a difference. So Ashani, connect that finding to these newer crop of tests that are making all of these promises. Yeah, so it's concerning, right? We know that primary care visits are already too short. There's so much packed into these visits already. So it's hard to imagine how doctors are going to fit in the nuanced conversations that are so critical about yet another test that has serious downsides to consider, let alone handle the the downstream tests and other cascade services that are likely to follow. To underscore the point, a paper from the Journal of General Internal Medicine found that it already would take a primary care doctor 27 hours, more than a full day, to discuss and act on all the best practice guidelines out there. After the break, the burning questions Ashani still has about these new tests and some far less sexy ideas for cutting cancer deaths. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. 
From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking with Ashani Ganguly, assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and a primary care doctor at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Ashani, you've made us a nice pro-con list. The con side, I'll say, is definitely a little longer at this point. But I just got to ask, is there a single patient right now today that you'd order either of these tests for? Full body MRI, no. I don't think it's good for patients. I don't think it's good for doctors. And and what about the blood tests? For the blood tests, I think this is uh, a more nuanced conversation. I think if you have a number of cancers in your family, it may be worthwhile to pursue it in a sort of really highly supervised way. I think when it gets more complicated, it's when you're thinking about using these for a general population. And there, we just don't have the evidence yet. And there's a lot of reasons to think that the downsides might outweigh the upsides. Okay. Let's set aside the full body MRIs, which you seem convinced are not going to catch on in a serious way and focus on the blood tests. What other evidence, Ashani, would you want to see in order to begin ordering these tests? Like what's on your wish list? So the first piece of information that is not yet clear is whether these cancer detection tests improve cancer outcomes or overall patient survival. That is the goal of them, and that would be the first question I'd like to see answered. Okay. Do these tests actually lead to more people with cancer living longer or at least happier, healthier lives? So the next piece is to have more information around if there's a positive signal on a potential liver cancer, for example. I would want to understand, based on evidence, what series of steps I should take as that patient's primary care doctor to get them the fastest, most accurate final diagnosis. Because if you don't have that information, then... Then we're, we're floundering, right? I mean, so let's say, you know, the test is positive, you do an MRI and uh, to follow it up and there's nothing there. What do you do next? What's the right interval for follow-up screening? All of that. That's not clear yet. Also on Ashani's list, more data on the cost effectiveness of these tests and all of the care that comes after them, plus more info on other measures that matter to patients like their quality of life, anxiety, how much more time they spend in hospitals and clinics doing follow-up because of these tests. Ashani, I just want to take a minute to talk about equity. We know, for example, Hispanic and Native people are 15% less likely to get screened for colorectal cancer, and screening rates are also much worse for people with low incomes. If these tests prove to be valuable, catching cancers early, do you worry disparities are only going to get worse? Yes. 
I think that the upside of a blood test is that it may be more accessible to some folks than a more involved invasive test for a certain cancer. For example, a pap smear, which requires a full office visit, or a colonoscopy, which requires a lot of preparation and having a home to prep in and things like that. However, I would worry about equity. And as you're saying, that the these new tests would worsen disparities in that they're likely to be disproportionately used by the folks who already have greater means to begin with, who are already better linked into care. And so the people who are being left behind with traditional cancer tests are likely to be left behind the same way with these new tests. Right. And that seems even more likely to happen if a positive test requires a bunch of costly follow-up care that might not be covered by insurance to confirm the results. Absolutely. Okay, last question, Ashani. President Biden, with his Cancer Moonshot initiative, has set a high bar. The goal is to cut the cancer death rate in half in the next 25 years, at least by 50%. It's bold, it's ambitious, but it's completely doable. Let's say we get more evidence, and it confirms your fears that these new screening tests do not save much money or that many lives. Where should docs and insurers be putting their attention instead if we want to hit that moonshot? I think it's all about the implementation of existing measures, right? You know, the existing cancer screening tests like pap smears have lower rates of completion than we'd like. So there's a lot of patients who aren't getting those evidence-based tests. I would want to see us hammer away at those, you know, 40, 50, 60% completion rates of of what we already know to be beneficial for patients and bring that up. Those are low-hanging fruit, but we're we're still a far away from doing that reliably across the populations. I'd start there. Yeah. Let's do the blocking and tackling. Let's do the stuff we know works. Let's stop looking for the magic wand. Yeah. I will say I do appreciate the need for a little bit of both, right? You you need to advance the field through some of these Star Trek-y kinds of innovations with the hope that one day if you study it thoughtfully enough and with enough evidence you can you can make it helpful to patients but then we also need to double down on some of these you know non-sexy but really important ways of helping patients very good ashani thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on trade-offs my pleasure when it comes to full body mri scans the american college of radiology agrees with ashani saying on their website quote To date, there is no documented evidence that total body screening is cost-efficient or effective in prolonging life, and that these tests will, quote, result in unnecessary follow-up testing and procedures as well as significant expense. As for the cancer-detecting blood test, a couple of serious studies are underway, including a randomized trial of more than 100,000 patients being run by the UK's National Health Service. One way or another, we are going to know a whole lot more soon. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Trails. By the way, I just uh, pitted Star Trek against non-sexy, which is hilarious. I love it. I would argue that Star Trek is decidedly not sexy. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain.
staring down a terminal diagnosis of cancer or ALS can make a person feel helpless in the face of a painful and prolonged end to their life. But a handful of states have created laws that give people a choice. She didn't want to die, but she didn't want to suffer. One family story grappling with end-of-life care next time on Tradeoffs. Thanks for listening to Tradeoffs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use, the NPR app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Alex Olgan, editors Kate Cahan and Deborah Franklin, executive director Jessica Silverman, marketing director Catherine Dougal, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, with help from Kate Seepy, Kelly Osmondson, and Cedric Wilson, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. Soleil Shaw contributed to the reporting for this episode. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. This story was made possible in part by Arnold Ventures and the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. Additional thanks to Ruth Etzioni, Mark Fendrick, Doug Owens, and Susan Pantelli. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Jenny Gerstorf, Kai Corbett, and Julie Stone. Our media partner is Side Effects Public Media, based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Sozose Foundation, Just Trust, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. Our financial supporters are not involved in any decisions about our journalism. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoff staff, advisors, or funders.